Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. So one of the questions is, where do you belong? Uh, Because I think all of us were created for community. In fact, Scripture affirms we were created for relationship. We were created with the need to belong. I could pose a number of questions in that same arena, but let me cut to the chase. When we use the word belong, uh, here's another question that I think may be even more significant. Is the church, is this church a place where folks can find a place to belong? And what does that look like? What is unconditional welcome and love? What does it mean to belong? And as I wrote this morning's sermon, when I came to this little juncture, I wrote in the word, well, here's a footnote, and yet as I reflected on it, and you saw the words in that little clip, the reality is, here is the resounding headline, not a footnote, resounding headline, the gospel story does not leave us lonely, but the gospel story offers us unconditional welcome, unconditional love. The question is, are we as a church living out the gospel story? Uh, We began a little six-week journey today that we're calling Belong, Encountering Jesus Together, because it is not just talking about belonging in one form or another, It is talking about what we have the wonderful privilege of sharing together in Jesus, belong, encountering Jesus together. And quite frankly, I don't know of a better text to begin this series than the words from Philippians chapter 2. I suspect you know them well, Uh, words that we know as the Christ song. Would you hear these words from the Apostle Paul? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all of God's people said, Amen. Now, again, many of us have heard, have read, have known that text much of our lives, but I want you to pause and reflect with me again on some of the phrases in that paragraph. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, I want you to grab hold of that mystery that Jesus is fully God, a full-fledged member of the divine family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, no one else in all of creation is described as in very nature God. But that's the language Paul uses to describe Jesus, who being in very nature God, and then catch the next phrase, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. As some translations word it, as something to be grasped. 
Jesus did not consider equality with the divine family as something to be used to his own advantage. We're going to circle back to that phrase throughout this series, but today let me simply say what a contrast that statement is to how we often use our positions in life. We use power, we use our positions to our advantage, and unfortunately, many times to take advantage of others. Maybe sometimes unintentionally, but I fear many times we use our power and our position to take advantage of folks, even in intentional ways. And Paul says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. But I want you to notice Paul doesn't just use incarnation language, as powerful as that is. Jesus, full-fledged member of the divine family, became a human being. That's powerful. But Paul even takes it beyond that to use servant language. He took the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Obviously, the cross is the ultimate demonstration of the love that Jesus has for us. But the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels are filled with one example after another of Jesus extending unconditional love, extending radical hospitality, extending unconditional welcome to others. For example, he touches the lepers that no one else was willing to touch because, you see, you touch a leper, you become unclean. Grab hold of that. You become unclean, and yet here is Jesus touching lepers. He blesses children when others are shooing the children away. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. He engages in conversations with folks like a Samaritan woman, with a woman who is caught in the very act of adultery. Again, we need to hear those stories very clearly. Jesus engages people who were hungry and thirsty for a place to belong. And in contrast to the religious leaders of his day who often criticized him for associating with tax collectors and sinners, you may remember that language in Luke 15 that precedes three incredible parables. It's almost as if they were saying, oh, Jesus, if you're really who you claim to be, you'd have nothing to do with these folks because they're sinners and God doesn't associate with sinners. And Jesus says, well, how about if I tell you what God is really like? Jesus was willing to go where others were not willing to go. And just maybe he rubbed off on them, do you think? Just maybe he rubbed off on them. Hear me carefully again. That is in such a sharp contrast to the view that it is possible for us to hold. Why, Barry, if you go there, you're going to compromise your beliefs. If you love others unconditionally, you're going to compromise your beliefs. No, 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 no. Jesus shows us what it's like to love people unconditionally, to walk alongside them, to help them imagine a future they could never imagine. And so in those moments when we struggle to love others, when we struggle to welcome those who are different than we are, even beyond that, when we struggle to unconditionally love the outcast and the sinners, if you please, and like I said last Sunday, we all fall into that category. May I remind you one more time again today on the beginning of this series, let me remind you of how much Jesus loves you. Who shall separate us, Paul asked, from the love of Christ? 
shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. It is a series of rhetorical questions that Paul asks. Rhetorical question is a question where the answer is just obvious. You just assume the answer. If God is for us, who's against us? No one. Who or what shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing. No one. In fact, Paul closes that chapter by saying, in all of these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That closes what we know as Romans 8, chapters 9, 10, and 11, three of the toughest chapters in Romans. And yet the culmination is that text that Aaron led us in reading earlier where we break out in absolute praise to a God who's filled with glory and power and grace. And so hear me clearly. God loves you unconditionally. As I said last Sunday, God loves you just the way you are. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more or to cause God to love you less. He loves you just the way you are. But the beauty and the power and the redeeming part of God's love is that he's not content to leave you there. He wants you to be more and more like Jesus. But because of his love, it does mean God will never let you go. He will walk alongside you, molding, shaping, pursuing, transforming. And again, the ministry of Jesus is the perfect demonstration of that. God loves us. Jesus loves us. And if we're honest, if we're honest, even when I say words like that, if we're honest, sometimes it is hard for us to grab hold of that, for for us to comprehend that, because I know me better than anybody else. And to talk about God loving me in that way, And yet the declaration of Scripture, the declaration of a cross, the declaration of a resurrection is God loves each of us. He pursues us. He longs for a relationship with us. Now, here's the question as we step into this series. Are we willing to extend that kind of love, that kind of welcome to one another and to others? Are we willing to love the way Jesus loved? Our mission statement at Monterey says very simply, love God, love others. And we focused on that last Sunday. The question again is, are we willing to really dig deeply into what it means to love God and to love others and to love in the same way that Jesus loved? In addition to that mission statement, if you've been around Monterey for a few years, you know that several years ago we adopted a set of value statements in which we basically say, we want to be this kind of church. We pursue a culture that is marked by worship, belonging, presence, sacrifice, and discipleship. All of those words worthy of a lot of conversation and reflection, but the one we focus on in this series is belonging. Here's how we define it. In a lonely and unforgiving world, everyone thirsts for a place to belong. Therefore, we will be a people of unconditional welcome and love as we join God in his work of reconciling the world to himself. Our mission, what we do in the here and now, we love God, we love others. Our vision, what we long for, what we imagine as we step into what we believe God imagines, to join God in the renewal of all things. We want to be conformed to the image of Christ. We want to see others transformed into that image as well. How do we do that? How do we move in that direction? Well, again, those value statements, I think, are so very, very important. And so reflect again on those words for just a moment. In a lonely 
and unforgiving world. Is that true of the world in which we live? That far too often people experience loneliness, that far too often people wonder, does anybody love me? Would anybody ever forgive me for what I've done? And it's easy to talk about folks who might be outside the four walls of this building and whether they've struggled with that. The reality is probably the majority of us in this room have likewise struggled with that in our lives in a lonely and unforgiving world where everyone thirsts for a place to belong. Remember again, we're created for relationship. We're created for community, the need to belong. And so the question is, where do we find that belonging? Where do we find relationship? Where do we find our identity? And the answer may be in some of the things you saw in the clip this morning, because we'll find belonging in a whole variety of places in our lives, but in the midst of any other answer we might give, the answer ought to be God's church. The answer ought to be the family of God, because you see, the call of God is for His people to extend unconditional love and welcome to all people. And I would suggest as we think about that value statement, that is intentional language. It is not something we're saying casually. And we're going to dig deeply into that in the weeks that will come in this series. On the front end today, I want us to recognize that if we love people that way, it takes commitment and sometimes it's messy. In fact, we had a marvelous session yesterday morning. The elders and ministry staff and our spouses spent about three hours together talking about this value of belonging. And we almost said up front, and it was obvious through the conversations that we shared together, as we as leaders in this church want to lead this body of believers to honor that kind of value, it became so obvious again, it takes intentional commitment. It is sometimes not easy. It is sometimes messy, just like my life is sometimes messy. What it means, though, is if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we've got to have the mindset of Jesus. That text we read from Philippians 2, but what I love, I think, even more about that text from Philippians 2 is the way Paul leads into it. And so hear these words at the beginning of Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Again, my fear is that we just kind of casually read those words without letting them sink in. How about if we did nothing that's motivated by selfish ambition. What would that look like? How about if we, because of the encouragement and the, the comfort and the compassion that we experience because of the love of Christ, what if we extended that same kind of love to others? What if we truly valued others above ourselves? And you see, again, those words come right before Paul begins that Christ song by saying, oh, by the way, in your relationships, it's more than me just spouting a few good words. It is me saying to you, I want you to have the same mindset that Jesus had, who did not consider his position as something to be used to his advantage. 
Question, is that what people see when they see the church? And I, I could pose that question on the street corners to any number of folks that we might encounter, but my, my concern today is not about somebody else. My concern is about this church family that I call home. Is that what people see when they see us? And it's a, it's, it's a both receive and give, that I want you to experience that kind of belonging, but I want you to be such a part of this body that you're extending that to others as well. Do they see a people of tenderness and compassion and love and humility, or do they see a people who are judgmental and selfish and arrogant and filled with bitterness and unforgiveness? I pray they see the heart of Jesus. And I pray we extend that to all people. And again, in the coming weeks, we're going to step, I think, many times, probably outside of our comfort zones, but we're going to talk about what does it mean to really have that kind of spirit when we talk about our community and our world. But may I begin with just us today. It's kind of like I, I shared with the early assembly, have a friend who was one of my professors in graduate school many years ago. And in a conversation we had in more recent years, because of his heart and his compassion for people, we ended up talking about Matthew 25. You know the text where Jesus says, I was hungry, you fed me thirsty, you gave me something to drink, etc. And as we talked, he began to talk about the statistics regarding people in our world who are hungry, people who die because of hung hunger. And the numbers are astounding. The number of people who die every day in our world because they are hungry, don't have enough food to eat. And then he said, but you know, Barry, our temptation is to step back and say, well, yeah, Jesus said feed a hungry world, but there's so many people out there, uh, I, I could never feed anybody, and so I just don't do anything. And he said, maybe Jesus would say, how about if you start right where you are? So in the same respect, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. We'll discover as we study the Gospels, that means everybody. But we may be prone to say, well, other folks live on the other side of the world, so I'll just not do anything. And Jesus might well say, how about if you begin where you are? How about the person who lives next door to you physically? How about your family? How about your church family? Because, again, in a church of this size, it is easy for us not to know one another for us to walk through doors on a Sunday morning and still be pretty anonymous. And so what I want to do today is extend a challenge. In fact, last Sunday I said over these next several weeks as we talk about loving others, we're going to extend a number of challenges to you. Uh, Aaron Dawson uh, at the close of the service last week talked about college students who are back in town and basically extended a challenge to us. How about taking a college student to lunch last Sunday, this Sunday, sometime in the coming weeks? Let me extend a challenge beyond even that, as important as that is. Please honor that request as well. Let me extend this hospitality challenge to you. Sometime during the six weeks of this series, let me challenge you to invite someone or some family in this church into your home for dinner. And I challenge you to invite someone who has never been in your home. Maybe somebody that you don't even really know. In order to get to know one another, in order to share a conversation, in order to share food, in order to put your feet and legs under the same table and to interact with one another. Now, we're going to extend some challenges that go far beyond our relationships with one another, but how about if we begin with where we are? Because, again, far too often we're even prone to judge one another and to not have the Spirit of Jesus in what we do. 
I already know that there are many, many beautiful demonstrations of Philippians 2 in this church, the kind of love Paul talks about. I want you to hear one of those stories this morning. And so, Sean Hughes, if you'll come ahead and join me on the stage again. If you don't know Sean Hughes, this good-looking man is Sean Hughes. And you owe me. Thanks. <laughs> and it's not on I yet. I appreciate it. Yeah, flip it on. Some of you know Sean's story, but uh, I've asked him this morning to take just a few moments and share the journey that he and his family uh, have traveled these last few months. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, and, and uh, in fact, I had asked Barry a couple of weeks ago if, if I might have just a second to thank everybody here. So let me tell you what happened to me. Um, I had a minor surgery, and a colleague of mine said, there's no such thing as a minor surgery, Sean, and uh, he turned out to be quite right. Um, it was a gallbladder, needed to have it removed, um, no problems with the gallbladder, et cetera, et cetera. It turned out it needed to be removed. But when I woke up from the surgery, the surgeon, uh, Dr. Slee, was looking at me, and he had a serious expression on his face, and he said, uh, I think you have cancer, which was not what I anticipated when I went in for gallbladder removal. I was kind of excited, in fact, because it was the only surgery I'd ever, I've never even been in a hospital bed. All right, and so this was just a minor, quick thing, going to be in and back to work by, you know, the next day or whatnot. Yeah. Well, we spent the next two weeks uh, looking for it, uh, eventually um, diagnosing it with, uh, with the removal of my appendix. It had a um, golf ball-sized tumor on the appendix that had ruptured and uh, spread cancer throughout my abdominal ca cavity. Um, I've never faced mortality, not in an intimate way. And I will say I, um, we spent a lot of time facing mortality. And I can't really say where it came from, but I can say I wasn't afraid of dying. And I don't know why. It's not like I've got this wonderful spiritual bastion within me. It, it just, it, I, I wasn't afraid of death. But I was afraid for my family. I didn't want to lose my family. I didn't want to leave my family. And I was afraid for, for what this might do to my family. And so we wrestled with whether or not to have the surgery. Uh, that was a tough decision to make because it was going to be a really extensive, awful surgery. And it was. We decided to have it. Um, they opened me up from my sternum all the way down. And um, I, I spent two weeks in the hospital in Plano. Um, I spent another week in the hospital here with uh, another infection. Uh, I've had more pain, and I've learned more about pain than I ever knew. I didn't know what pain was, but I've learned about it. But the one big fear that I had about my family, that's where you guys stepped in. <laughs> and this church, along with LCU and, and our community uh, at Hull, you guys stepped in and y'all fed my family. Y'all helped my family. Y'all visited my family. Y'all visited me. Y'all came to the hospitals. Y'all sent cards and, and, and posted on my website and, and did things for us that I, I had no concept of the level of gratitude that I would feel. I can't even express it to you how much, how important you guys were in terms of supporting my family when they needed support and I needed support. I, and I was totally on my back this whole time. I mean, I was completely out of it, but you guys supported my family, 
and for that I'm eternally grateful. I don't know what the Lord has in store for me. There's, there's not an easy diagnosis that they can test me and go, okay, it's cured, it's not cured, it's not that type of cancer. But I do know that I'm eternally grateful to have this family and a, a good idea, a better idea now, better than I ever wanted to have of what it means to, to really be supported by a church family. So thank you so much. I told the audience in the first assembly, we use that phrase in a lonely world and we experience loneliness in a lot of different ways and I know this journey that Sean's been on uh, there had to be many many moments when you felt like good night what a lonely journey you don't realize how alone you are until you're in a hospital by yourself in the middle of the night and yeah. feeling that pain yeah and some of you have been there in other situations some of you have experienced that in a thousand and one other ways and so our call regarding every piece of life is exactly what I've been trying to say this morning. And so that value statement again, I've asked Sean this morning to lead us as a church in saying that, in affirming that. And so if you would stand and uh, let's allow Sean to lead us in reading those words together. In a lonely and unforgiving world, everyone thirsts for a place to belong. Therefore, we will be a people of unconditional welcome and love as we join God in his work of uh, reconciling, reconciling the, the world, world to himself. And again, all of God's people said, amen. amen. Let's thank Sean for the blessing he is to us. Thank you, brother. And if I could ask you to just remain standing for a moment let me remind you on so many fronts this morning, the only reason we are where we are is because Jesus loves us unconditionally. Amen. To remind us that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And church, we are reminded of that love and grace every time we share communion, as we will do in just a few moments. We're invited to the table with all of our diversity, with all of our struggles, we're invited to the table to share life together, to remember together, to affirm one another together. And so if I could cut to the chase again, do any of us deserve that invitation? Do any of us deserve to sit at the table with Jesus? And the answer is absolutely not. And yet the beauty of God's grace is that we have been invited. And may we allow that to be the springboard as we extend the love of Jesus to others as well. As we sing this time of response, this time of preparation for communion, if you're walking through anything where we can be a blessing, can be of service to you, can pray for you as a church, we would invite you. A couple of our shepherds will be here at the front. Let's sing together and give our lives to God.